Hi, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are in week six of our journey through the Gospel of John, which we've entitled, That You May Believe. If you'd like to get the other episodes in our series, you can do so by going to ccgf.org sermons, or by downloading the Christ Church app, which is available on Android and iOS devices. Joining us for today's message is our very own senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. He will be preaching from John chapter 6 with the sermon entitled, A Hungry Crowd. Here he is with his message. Thank you for listening. Amen. Let's pray together. Well, Lord Jesus, that is our prayer this morning as we call out to you, saying, use us however you want to use us, Lord. Here we are. Lord, we're here because of you. We're here in this place because of you. We sing your praises because of what you've done for us. It is now in this place that we give our lives back to you. Oh Lord, we are so grateful for what you've done as we celebrate this morning communion, as we remember the fact that you went to the cross for us. We thank you for that, and we thank you for what you teach us in your word, Lord. You do teach us so much. I pray that we can learn from that this morning, that you teach us, that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear, and that we won't just leave this place hearers of the word, but we will leave it doers of it as well. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It is wonderful uh, to be here on uh, this communion Sunday as we celebrate that in a, in a bit here. And uh, hopefully you've been following along with us in our journey. We've been in the series that you may believe as we've been studying the gospel of John. And it's powerful to be able to read along with us. You know, we are only hitting again the kind of the chapter by chapter, but there's so much more in there that we want to encourage you to be reading along with us in this series. This Sunday, today, is a powerful narrative, probably a very familiar narrative to many of you, the feeding of the 5,000. And we look at that and we can definitely see how God provides for us. God provides even though we don't know where it's coming from, don't we? I had the wonderful opportunity last week to, I uh, was invited to go down to uh, Southern Seminary. Uh, there was a small group of leaders they invited down for a leadership uh, seminar. And uh, Louisville, Kentucky, wonderful place down there in Southern. It's the, one of the largest seminaries in the whole country. Powerful place. A lot, of, a lot of great theologians coming out of there and a lot of just great education for students. And I remember getting there real late on the night before a Thursday evening, and it was really late, and I went to the airport, and there was a gentleman there uh, that had a sign um, at the baggage claim, and I could tell right away he was an international, and so I kind of went up. I said, you know, that's me. It was a big sign. at Southern Seminary, and he said, are you Dr. Jerd? And uh, I was so tired, church, I didn't even correct him. I just said, yep, that's me. I'm Dr. Jerd. Let's go. And uh, I got in the car, and uh, I proceeded to ask him. I said, uh, uh, you sound like you're from another country, your English uh, is a little broken. He said, yes. And I said, are you a student here at Southern? He said, absolutely. And I, he proceeded to tell me a story, and I was just blown away. He was uh, from Peru. He said that uh, many years ago, God called him to go into ministry. He said he didn't have much in Peru. They didn't have, his family didn't have much, and so he didn't know how he was going to, to do it. But he felt like God calling him into seminary. So he he prayed about it, and God provided him the funds to go to California. I said, oh, you were, <laughs> you were accepted at, a, at one of the seminaries in California. He said, no, I just went to California because I heard there were a lot of seminaries there. I thought, well, that's, I guess, a way to find a school, just kind of show up uh, there. But he said, I went. 
God provided, and I went. And then he said he heard about Southern because he heard about the reputation of Southern, and so they, uh, he, he prayed about it, and God provided funds for him to fly to Southern. And he said he, he went there, he met with the people, and he realized that he didn't have enough money to pay for, the, for, for seminary, but he knew God was calling him, so he went back to Peru, got a different work visa so he can come back and just work. And the, the whole time he's talking, he's getting very emotional, he's telling me how God just keeps providing, keeps providing. He's been there for two years now. He said, you know, I don't always know where the food's going to come from. I just know I have a job and God's provided for that and I, I, can, I can pay for my classes one at a time and I know God will continue to pay. God will continue to show up. I don't know where it's going to come from, but he's going to continue to provide. And he went to tell me that he's going to go back to Peru after he's done with seminary and he's going to work at a church. And they said they don't pay pastors there. And so he'll have to find a job, and he knows that for the rest of his life, it'll probably be a a tough uh, situation financially to provide for he and his family. But he said, God will provide. Such faith about this gentleman. In fact, he was was getting so emotional. I mean, he was was, was starting to sob, uh, telling me the story about how great God is, how God keeps providing. Well, as I mentioned, I'm I'm sitting there, it was was pretty late at night, and he's really starting to sob now. Nothing, church, wakes you up more than looking over at your driver on the highway in, in Kentucky, and he's wiping his eyes like this, trying to drive like, like this. I said, are you okay? He goes, I am just in awe of God. He keeps providing. In fact, we got to the, the hotel, and I said, you know, I'd like to give you some money for, you know, bring me here. He said, no, 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 it was all part of the deal of you guys coming in, part of the seminar I said, well, don't you need the money? He said, nope, God will provide. Such faith, such faith. In fact, when we look at this narrative, we realize that God provides, and he makes something out of nothing, doesn't he? 5,000 people sitting there, and he takes a small boy's lunch and provides. You've got to understand, when we look at this narrative, this narrative was one of the only narratives that's found in all four of the Gospels. It's found in Matthew 14 and Mark 6 and Luke 9. And all of them are pointing to this narrative. You have to understand, too, this is one of the, the, the pinnacles, the peaks of Jesus' popularity at the time. You know, all the way up to this point, he's making himself known so that you may believe our series title. Making himself known to people, and now people are really starting to understand who he is. They are really starting to understand who he is. His his popularity is really sky high at this point. It's really the pinnacle of his popularity. In fact, after this time, he goes into the last year of his life and spends a lot more time with the disciples, teaching them about his death and resurrection. But all four of the gospel writers look at this as one of the pinnacles, the the, the pinnacles of popularity of Jesus' life. So first we have to understand a few things about this narrative. First off, the place. What is this place? If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Uh, We are in John chapter 6. And again, I want to encourage you, make sure you're reading all the Gospels. I know we're giving you homework, but it's important for you to understand the full uh, narrative throughout all the Gospels as they're all relating to this place, this this narrative. It says in verse 1, it says, After this, uh, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, we understand from Luke's gospel, when we look at Luke uh, 9, that he's actually going to Bethsaida. Bethsaida. Now, this is not to be confused with Bethesda that Ed Glover talked about last week. Bethesda is in Jerusalem. 
okay? The pool of Bethesda, where the man was healed, is in Jerusalem. This is Bethsaida. This is on the Sea of Galilee, probably about two hours outside of Jerusalem, up in the Sea of Galilee. Tiberius is on the lower uh, uh, western side, and uh, Beth, Bethesda, um, Bethsaida is up on the, uh, the eastern side. And so Jesus is, is getting on a boat, and he's going there. Okay? He's going, he's crossing this sea over into this, this corner, this, this town, this region, the Sea of Tiberias, which at that time um, was known as the Sea of T- uh, Tiberias, not the Sea of Galilee. And so what's happening? People are starting to see who Jesus was, his popularity. His popularity. And people started coming. People started coming to him. And there's now a crowd forming. You have to understand, we look at this narrative, there's many points to it, so much application, but there's really three groups of people. Three groups of people. The first group of people is the, what I call the fickle crowd. Look at verse 2, it says, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up to a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, we also understand from the other Gospels that Jesus was going there to have a time with the disciples, a time of teaching. Jesus was not going because he knew the crowd was going to be there or that, he was, that, was, his, it was, that was his mission. He was going, he was going to spend some time with the disciples, and all of a sudden all this crowd started gathering. Okay? All, these, all this crowd started gathering. In fact, we know from Mark's Gospel that people were so excited that people were there before he even got there. Mark 6 says, many people saw they, they were leaving and recognized him. Verse 33 of Mark 6, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So you've got to understand there's a town there, and all the people from the town are coming, but all the people from the other towns are now coming too. They see Jesus getting on the boat. The Sea of Galilee is not huge. You see him get on a boat, and you know he's going to the other side. So they just start going. They just start going. They're running to get there. I can only imagine what... Jesus and the disciples are thinking, they're thinking that we're going to go and spend some time with Jesus. Jesus says, we're going to spend some time with the disciples, and the crowd is already there before they get off the boat. They were desperate to be with Jesus. And while Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't say why, we see in John why. Verse 2, it says, because they saw his signs he performed on those that were diseased. So these people saw what Jesus was doing, the people that he's healing, the miracles that he's performing, the diseases that he's curing, and they go because they want to be there for that. They want to be there for that. And while some might want to worship him, many of them are going just because of the physical need that they had. That's why I call them the fickle crowd. You see, people are often drawn to kind of false teachers and people that are doing miracles and healings. It happens even today. I know there's some uh, folks on TV, I won't mention their name, but they, they claim to have uh, miraculous signs. And people want to come to them, not because they want to worship the Lord Jesus, but because they want their own physical needs being met. They're the thrill seekers. They're the ones saying, I- I've got a problem, and I want Jesus to fix it. I'm not necessarily there to worship. I just need some answers. I just need fixed. Then you may say, well, who would do that? Who would ever come to a place only to have their physical needs being met? You know, we do this oftentimes in the church. We come, and many of you come because you have questions and you have answers, and you want Jesus to provide those questions and answers. You want healing because of what you've got going on, but you do not care about actually worshiping him. 
People in church do this all the time. They're the thrill seekers. And while Jesus comes to meet our needs, that's not his mission. Our physical needs. It's not our physical needs that he's trying to meet. He's trying to meet our spiritual needs. That's what Matthew talks about when he talks about the thorny soil. If you remember the, the, the parable of the, soil, the soils, all the different soils, that's the thorny soil. The soil that falls on the thor- thorny soil are the ones that are thrill seekers that, are, that, that catch onto it for a little bit. They get excited about it, but as soon as all this stuff in life happens, they just wither and die because they get choked because of it. That's the thorny soil. That's the people there. It's the, it's the self-centered, self-indulgent people that I need my physical needs met. It's a shallowness that they had. So they don't come necessarily to worship him. They come because they want their needs met. In fact, we find out later they want to make him king. They want to make some kind of utopia there. That's why Jesus leaves. And it's a huge crowd of people. It says already, it says 5,000. That's just men. So we got to factor there's wives there. So let's say it's 10,000. At that time, People had as many kids as possible because many of them didn't make it. So let's say they each had three kids at minimum. You're talking about 25,000 people now. 25,000 people. That is a huge crowd. That's a stadium-sized crowd of people that are there. But what's great is when we see in Mark, Mark 6, 34, it says Jesus looks at them and has compassion on them. And they use the word compassion. Mark used the word compassion. It's like a gut-sickening feeling. Like, I love them so much, I care for them so much, that he was moved to sickness. Isn't it great that when Jesus looks at us, he loves us? No matter what's going on, no matter what things are going on in life, that we can come to him and he loves us. He looks each one of us in the eye and, and loves us. He's moved to compassion. At this crowd that are there, not for their spiritual need, but for their physical need. Some of you here this morning may be here for that. Jesus looks at you and loves you and says, listen, I'm gonna, I love you. I want to meet that physical need, but I want to meet a deep spiritual need that you have. Even more so. I came to die for you in your place so you can spend eternity with me. Why? Because our bodies are going to wither and die at some point, And we're going to be left, whether spending eternity with him or not with him. Is that you this morning? The fickle crowd. The second group of people that we have there is the faithless disciples. The faithless disciples. Look at verse 5. This is when Jesus looked and saw a crowd coming to him. He said to Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test him. For he already knew, had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each to have a bite. I, you know, I, I do feel bad for the disciples. I, I wonder if the disciples ever thought at some point, man, we're going to be the model for all of time. Every church throughout the history of the church is going to look at us and judge every action that we've ever done. The faithless disciples. So Jesus goes up to Philip and says, uh, and I kind of wanted, I would love to be there to see Jesus' face. Go, hey, Philip, I've got a question. You see all these people, 25 maybe, 1,000 people? Where should we get food for them? Now, he may have asked Philip this for two different reasons. One, Philip we know is from that same town. It says uh, he was a disciple from the city of Bethesda. He was from that same town. 
excuse me, Bethsaida. He's from the same town. So Jesus knew that he was from there. So maybe he asked him, he said, well, Philip, you're from here. Maybe you'll know uh, some, uh, some food truck that could come that we could hire out to provide food for all these people. Maybe that was one reason. We also know that Philip was one of the people that really had a hard time grasping what was going on. He's what uh, we would call as kind of thick-skulled. Some of you are looking at your own spouse and going, I know what that's like, the thick-skulled person. It takes a little while for it to, to sink in, doesn't it? See, Philip was the one that Jesus, when he's talking about his death and resurrection, that he goes and prepares a place for us. Philip was, Philip was the one who says, uh, show us, uh, Jesus, I don't understand. And, Phil, and Jesus says to Philip, Philip, how long have I been with you? And you still don't know. Some of us are the Philips that Jesus keeps providing and Jesus keeps showing up at different points in our life and we still go, I just don't get it. I just don't have the same faith. So Philip says there's two problems. One, there's not enough food. Secondly, there's not enough money to buy the food. So the disciples are there kind of fiddling around, figuring out, okay, it's, you know, it's a half a year's wages. How, we don't even have that. How are we going to do it? Ever wonder if the disciples thought for a second, you know, Jesus is healing people. He keeps showing up. He keeps providing for people. He keeps coming and performing miraculous signs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can do everything. Couldn't he just yell, food, and birds just fly and drop food? I ever wonder if they had that thought. They didn't at this time. They're trying to figure it out themselves, going, hey, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where, where we could come up with that much food. I don't know how much money, I, we don't have that money to provide for that. And we look at the disciples and go, that's crazy that they wouldn't, Jesus is standing right there, that you wouldn't just ask Jesus. How many of us go, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this bill. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. I don't know what the answers are. I just don't know. And Jesus is right here with us and we don't come to him. And Jesus says to Philip as a test, Philip, what do you want to do? We look at the disciples and we could criticize all we want and go, that's crazy. Jesus is standing right there. He's standing right here with us today. He's here. He just wants us to come to him, doesn't he? He does. That's Philip going, I just don't know. The other gospels actually say that they, the disciples say, send them away. Just send them away. Don't know what to do. Just send them away. We don't have enough. Jesus, just tell them to go home. So little faith. Some of us are dealing with that right now. We're saying, God, I don't have answers. I don't have enough. I don't know how I'm going to provide. I don't know how I'm going to get through this issue that I have in my life. And we get all upset, all worried, because we figure that we got to do it on our own. we got to figure it out on our own. I don't have enough money in my bank account. I don't have enough resources. When yet, Jesus said, just, just seek me out. If you have just a little bit of faith, is that you this morning? We have the faithless disciples. Then we have the third person, the feeble boy. Look at verse 8. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Small, <laughs> five small barley loaves. Barley was the cheapest grain at the time. Barley was the cheapest grain. It's used by the poorest of people. Five barley loaves, I always thought, man, that's like five loaves of bread. That actually could go quite far. That's like five crackers. 
Five crackers and two small pickled fish is what it was. And here's a boy with this. And he comes and they say, here's a boy with a lunch. It's not a whole lot. I don't think it'll go very far. And I kind of wonder if what the boy was thinking at the time. is like, I don't have much, but here, Jesus, you take it. You take it. You take and do whatever you want with it. I wonder if that boy ever realized that the little he had would go so far. The little gift he had would bless and minister to so many. From the faith of a child. So then we have the provision. Not only do we have the place and the people, the provision. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, and they, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus looked at the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same for the fish. They had enough, all enough to eat, he said to the disciples. Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them up, filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Jesus says, uh, we, we learn this from Mark, he, he says to them, parasia, parasia, meaning sit down in garden bed by garden bed. So they, they sat down in these groups of people, 50 to 100, on this hillside. And he starts blessing the food. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus does the same thing that we're going to do here in a moment? That he takes the bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it. And then the provision happens. The provision happens. There's so much food that everybody has their fill, and there's 12 basketfuls left over. I kind of wonder if the disciples ever counted up the baskets, then counted up how many there were of them, and went, huh, interesting. It would be that point that Jesus would, if he had a microphone, would just drop the mic and walk off. And said, see, I told you. He doesn't do that. Twelve baskets, twelve disciples. Not only did they have enough to feed everybody there, but now they had enough food for the next day. Jesus doesn't just provide. He gives in abundance, doesn't he? Isn't that wonderful? The, thing that, the stuff that we think we need, Jesus provides it in abundance. We always talk about how you can never outgive God. The more we shovel out, the more he just shovels back. Isn't that wonderful? Disciples learned a big lesson that day. Big lesson. So what's the point? What's the point? You got the provision, got the people, what's the point? There's a couple points. First off, we see the Lord comes to save spiritually, not just physically. The Lord comes to save spiritually, not just physically. That's why in Luke 19 it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Jesus comes not just to to heal diseases, not just to heal the sick, not just to provide for us. He comes to seek and save what is lost. Some of us come in wanting something, thinking that, hey, as long as I have the right marriage or my marriage is fixed or I have enough finances or or I get the decisions that I need, if I can physically just take care of my needs, then I'll worship. Jesus is saying, listen, I can take care of that, but really, ultimately, it's a spiritual battle that you're in. I'm here. I want to save you. That's why I went to the cross for you, because you have sin that you could do nothing about. We all have sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so Jesus comes and says, listen, I'm here physically, but ultimately I want to save you of your sins. That's why I've come. I've come to seek and save what is lost. So if you're a thrill seeker, I'm glad you're here. Jesus is glad you're here too. 
And we would want nothing more than for you to have a relationship with him. It's as simple as calling out to him, saying, Lord Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I understand that's why you've come. You died for me, then rose again three days later. I want to have that relationship with you. I want you to forgive me. I want you to feed me spiritually, not just physically. The Lord comes to save spiritually, not just physically. Not only that, but the Lord does provide more than we can ever imagine, doesn't he? 2 Corinthians 9, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able to bless us abundantly, isn't he? He owns it all. He could provide food uh, to feed 25,000 people out of nothing. He could provide the bills that you need. He could provide the, supply the food that you need. He could supply the answers that you need. He can. He can. We don't have to worry about those things. We don't have to go through life wondering, will God provide? I spoke to somebody this uh, past week who, who is, is concerned that they might be losing their job. And that time is coming very soon, wondering, am I going to lose my job? And they started to get emotional when they were talking to me. And I, I kind of wondered, I didn't ask at the time, I said, I was thinking in my head, I was, are you crying because you're concerned that you don't have enough? Or are you crying because you know God's going to provide? And I didn't ask, but he answered the question. He said, I know God's going to provide. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what tomorrow may bring. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. But I know God showed up every single time I've called out to him. I know he's going to show up again. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know that? That Jesus can provide more than we can ever imagine. Not even what we need, but stuff even for the next day and beyond like the disciples. Thirdly, the Lord uses people even if they don't have much to offer. I wonder about that boy. I wonder if he knew that I, I don't have a whole lot, but what I do have, I'm going to give to the Lord. I wonder if he thought ever for a moment that what he was going to give to the Lord to use was going to minister to so many. You know, the Lord has time and time again used small things, things from the weak. And every time he does, it reveals his power, doesn't it? He uses a small boy, a small boy's lunch. Those kind of things in the hands of a big God do great things, don't they? He uses Moses' staff to divide the sea. He uses a widow's uh, last bit of flour and oil to feed a prophet. He uses a jawbone for Samson to destroy a thousand men. Little things in the hands of a big God can go a long way. Some of us think that we don't have a lot to offer. We say, God, I, I don't have much to offer. I don't have a lot of finances or I don't have a lot of gifts. I could never preach to thousands of people. God's not asking for that. He's saying, listen, I, I've given you all gifts. I just want you to use them. I want you to give them back and use them. That's why people, some of the best greeters we have are the ones, the ones that recognize, I don't have a whole lot to offer, but I can just smile and welcome people. Mike Kepfer's down recruiting people for the children's ministry. He is not looking for the evangelists. He's just looking for people that have that small gift that love kids, that want to be there to help minister to kids. The choir behind me. They may say, I don't have a whole lot to offer, but I can sing. Praise God for that. Praise God that you're going to use whatever God gives you because it just moves his message down the road, isn't it? I wonder if the boy ever thought about that. That 
his small gift, no matter what it was, maybe it comes through our tithe and you go, you know, I don't have a whole lot. I don't know how much this is going to, where this is going to go. It doesn't matter. The Lord Jesus can turn that into something to bless so many thousands of people. It's just, that boy is just one person of a long list of people who gave small things to a big God. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that we can use our gifts and he can bless us so much? You know, as the music team comes, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion this morning. Great time to come and remember what the Lord Jesus has done for us as we keep our eyes focused on him. No matter what's going on that he provides. For those of you, maybe the first time you don't know who Jesus is, understand that he died for you. He died for you. And as we prepare our hearts for that, there's one last point that I need to make because maybe this is the biggest point of all. Sometimes it's overlooked. But the Lord is faithful even when we are not. God's faithfulness never depends on his children. Even if we lack the courage, he doesn't. He's made a history out of using people in spite of people, hasn't he? Isn't it great that the Lord's faithfulness didn't rest on the faithfulness of the disciples? Sometimes we go through life and we feel like we keep messing up. So why would the Lord ever provide for me? Why would God ever show up for me? I haven't been faithful. Well, thank God that he's not faithful depending on our faithfulness. Amen? He knows the problem. Philip knew the problem, but he had no clue of the solution. His answer is standing right next to him. You may say, come on, disciples, how about a little faith? He's right there. And they, they don't have it. And Jesus has to use a small boy to show them that their lack of faithfulness doesn't depend on his faithfulness. That's why I love what Paul, I, I started to realize this week, this is what Paul meant when he said 2 Corinthians 2, 9, 12, 9. Paul says, but my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. I realized that last night, that my grace, Paul's saying, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect. You know what, how God's power is revealed? It's revealed in our weakness, not in our strengths. That's the time God shows up. That's the time we realize, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about what I'm doing. It's not about my faithfulness. It's not about how I screwed up this life. It's not about my lack of faithfulness. He's faithful yesterday, today, and forever. That's why the, the verse 2 Timothy 2.13, when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he can't disown himself. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it says in Hebrews 13.8. I love the fact that we don't see this, but in Matthew it's that Jesus divided the, the bread and gave it to his followers, gave it to his disciples to pass out. He gave it to the same people that were just as faithful. He doesn't punish them. He says, here, you take it and pass it out. He doesn't look at them and say, because of your lack of faith, I'm not going to be faithful. Jesus looks at us the same today. He says, it doesn't matter how much you screwed up. It doesn't matter how faithless you've been in the past. I am more faithful than you'll ever be. That's what makes me God. Why is that important to know? Because when we go through life, we don't have to look at our own life and go, hey, as long as I've been doing a good thing, or as long as I, I've made some great decisions in the past, as long as I've trusted him before, that he'll provide this time. It gives us so much hope. 
when our optimism is so low. There's no failure in us. God is faithful even when his children are not. That's what makes God God. And that's why we can look at this and we can believe. I hope that's you this morning, that you realize maybe you've made some bad decisions in life. Maybe you've messed up like disciples. Maybe you haven't had as much faith as you should have. Rest assured, walk out with so much hope knowing God's faithfulness doesn't rest on ours. Praise God for that. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Father, thank you for the fact that you're faithful even when we're not. That you provide for us. That you, we could have made a mess of this in the past, but we can come to you with sincere hearts this morning and say, God, I need your help. I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill. I don't know what the next decision is. I don't know how to get rid of this pain in my life. And Lord, you show up and you provide. We thank you for that. I thank you for this faith of this small boy. Help us to have that same faith that whatever we have, whatever gifts we have, whether small, that you can use them to minister to so many. And Lord Jesus, thank you ultimately that you came not just to meet our physical need, but to meet our spiritual need. I pray that you be with that one, maybe two, five, ten people in here who come in here as thrill seekers, just needing something physically. Help them to realize they can walk out with the greatest gift of all, having a relationship with you. If that's you, it's as simple as praying the prayer, asking Lord Jesus, forgive you. Forgive me my sin. I want to make you, I want to be clean in front of you. Thank you for dying for me. I want you to be the Lord of my life, to feed me, not only physically, but spiritually as well. We thank you for what you're doing, and we thank you for what you're going to do. And as we come to your communion table, help us to remember what you did for us on the cross. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.